Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. By the way, for those of you who are counting, this is episode number 17 of Every Other Thursday. And I'm Dave, and I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as always, I'm alongside my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Karish. And we are back and we're ready to share some thoughts and commentaries on the fast moving hospitality business. How are you guys doing today? Very well. Very good. Are you ready for something different and new for every other Thursday today? I'm ready. Jay, are you ready? Or are you just sleeping? I'm speechless. <laughs> You're speechless. I don't believe that. What's different today? Well, today we're going to be joined by our first guest, Bob Golden, from the market research firm of Pentelic. Am I saying that right, Greg? I'm not sure, but I believe you are. <laughs> Bob will straighten it out for us. Bob will straighten it out very shortly. We've had a behind-the-scenes discussion about the pronunciation of Bob's firm, so we'll ask Bob when he gets here. And as everyone knows, here at Every Other Thursday on our podcast, we give our listeners our thoughts and opinions on all the things that are food service and hospitality related in the entire marketplace. And today is going to be a little different because we're going to be joined by a real food service marketplace expert. So that's pretty cool. But before we get to all that, I want to get some of the general business out of the way. And as everybody knows by now, every other Thursday is our 30 minutes or so. This Today will probably go a little longer, I hope. But it's our 30 minutes or so podcast where we take on the world of hospitality and food service, giving you our thoughts and opinions. And just like every other episode so far, we're brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where they celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. So, gentlemen, are you ready to get started? I'm ready. Okay. With all that, please help me welcome Bob Golden to our Every Other Thursday podcast. Bob's great having you with us here today. Thanks, Dave. It's a real pleasure. Everybody knows Bob Golden, and we know you're a top consultant for a number of years in food service. We know you're the expert, and that's why we're glad to have you here with us. But we got a burning question, first of all, before we even get started. And the burning question is, how the heck do we say the name of your company? It's Pentelec. Very easy. P-E-N-T-A-L-L-E-C-T. Okay. And for those who remember their Latin from high school, Penta is five and there's five partners. And once again, Greg's right. Greg wins the prize because he had the background <laughs> even of that. So Pentelec. And the L-E-C-T, let's see how smart you are on that one. Which one? We purport to be intellect, so. <laughs> so it's Pentelec. Pentelec, that is correct. Awesome. Bob, don't congratulate Greg too quickly, because every time he's right, we have to send him a, another shirt, and you see what's happening. Yeah, today Greg is wearing his tiki shirt. So anyway, Bob, tell us a little bit about the company, because the company, while well, you've been doing this for a long time, and you're, you've been around the, uh, the food service marketplace for 25, 30 years, whatever it's been, Pentelec has not been. So tell us a little bit about Pentelec and, and what that's all about. Sure. Well, Mike, I'm a career, pretty much a career industry person, having spent several years in food service distribution and manufacturing, and then spent over 30 years of my career at 
Technomic, which was largely a research-oriented firm, we decided, four partners and I, now there's one additional part, we decided to start a strategy boutique focused on supply chain, trends, readiness, sales and marketing effectiveness, focused on the food and food service industry. So we're really what we call ourselves a strategy boutique. Is that a strategy boutique for manufacturers, for distribution partners? Great question, Dave. We work broadly in the industry. So our clients include distributors, restaurant chains, food and beverage manufacturers, a select number of private equity firms, and miscellaneous others interested in the industry. And so all product categories and service categories? We work very heavily in channels too, Greg. So we do work in dollar stores, club stores, retail in general, and then, of course, food service. Consumer Direct's been an area of focus. So it's channeled more than product, I would say. Wow, that's great because we've got some great questions for different channels coming up for you, and I'm looking forward to hear what what you'll tell us about that. Sure. So before we get into the real meat and potatoes here, earlier this year, you were on CNN and along with the CEO and president of Gold's Gym. How did that go? And what happened afterwards? Were people looking for your autograph or what was going on with all that? (laughs) Well, I must, it wasn't my initial foray on CNN. So I've done it before. It's always a wonderful opportunity to get some publicity and support. After the interview, I did get a number of LinkedIn comments, I think, including from you, Dave, about thanks for the comments that are supportive of the industry. So, you know, I think we tried to be objective. We tried to be candid. It was the interview was done in, I think we were still in panic mode. But I think a number of my clients and industry friends appreciate the fact that our comments were at least pro-industry. Of course, how could we not be? Well, kudos to CNN for having somebody like yourself represent our industry up there on there too, and to really to address the issue, because I can't think of an industry that's been hit harder than the hospitality and food service industry. I totally agree. We are front and center. It's a massive employer. So you have the human toll. There's a million plus outlets. The business model doesn't lend of the operator, well, the industry business model, but the operator in particular doesn't lend itself at all to any sort of sustained downturn. In other words, people in this business don't have retained earnings. So, and, you know, we've never seen when an industry completely shut, virtually completely shuts down, you know, in the past. We've had cold spells, we've had weather, we've had recession, but it hasn't affected the non-commercial side, or if it is, it's short duration. So yeah, this has been front and center. I can't think of an industry that's hurt harder. I really can't. And when you've had weather-related incidents, for instance, those generally have been regional so that you still have the majority of the country operating as normal. And you might have Florida or you may have Chicago with a blizzard or something. You, you, you have different yeah. pockets. And it lasts a couple of days. It lasts a week. It lasts 10 days. But it's regional. Yeah. When the hurricanes hit New Orleans, you know, again, it's catastrophic effect or the floods in Houston. It has a huge effect. But you're right. It's confined geographically. 
They have to keep the school. They do everything they can to keep the schools open, the colleges open, the hospitals open. And here what we found is literally a nearly complete shutdown of the industry for a 30 to 90 plus day period. With And that's unprecedented. It's pretty amazing. We talked about some of the effects it's had on the industry, Bob. And one of the things that I, I mentioned to the guys is, I think we all kind of knew, but you know, you don't really talk about it, but the effect that the hospitality industry's had on society and how important it is and how that can be such an uplifting thing. When, you know, not having been to restaurants for so long, we're all in the business. It's like, oh my God. Oh, sure. You know, I've always said, you know, when you really look at food service and hospitality, but let's just focus on the restaurant experience, food service in general, it's been a growth by and large compared it has been a global growth industry for 50 years yeah a few little blips but it's really been a steady sustained we're not growing the way we did in the 80s and 70s and 80s when McDonald's etc came on the scene but it has been a growth industry and I've all and there's a lot of analysts who say well it's about convenience and it's about working my Yes, but I do think the biggest driver of our industry has been the experience element. We like going out, to your point, and enjoying it. Doesn't mean we have to go out and spend a lot of money, but just the whole experiential component of food service, I think, is the biggest driver. And I think that will be the salvation of the business when we come out of this. Now, when we come out of it and how we come out of it, but people will want to resume some level of food service patronage. These are issues that we discuss on this uh, podcast often that it's not just about sustenance. People don't go out just to get nutrition. They go out for the entire theater and enjoyment and camaraderie, the community. So that's where, you know, tabletop and deco decor and ambiance all feed in together. Absolutely. It's experience. If you want to save money, you don't eat out. We know that. You want to eat healthy? you kind of probably get better control in your home. (laughs) Human beings are hardwired for connecting with other human beings. And the greatest place to do that is in a restaurant or a food service setting. I don't think that's going to change. I think it's going to be, it's going to transition to a different type of connection. It's going to take us a little bit to get there. And I want to talk about that recovery process journey a little bit and where we are with all that. But I think that this time next year, or thereabouts, we're going to be back to connecting. So, Bob, in your opinion, where are we in that process, that journey to come back and uh, that recovery? Where would you say we are now? Yeah, it's a great question. The industry, without question, is down anywhere from 30 to 70%, and some segments are off 100% still, cruise ships, recreation. Certain markets are more wide open than others. Chicago, where I live, reopened roughly, you know, a week ago, 10 days ago for outdoor dining only. Other markets are indoor dining. So I think we're, if you had to generalize, we're in the early stages of recovery. Recovery meaning resumption of more than just a takeout or carry out or drive through mode. But we still have major industry segments in a shutdown or near shutdown. Pretty much recreation, pretty much cruise ships. Gaming is just starting to reopen. And these for tabletop are very important segments. Hospital, you know, you patient feeding, but no guest feeding. Schools are still closed. So we're still in the very early stages of recovery 
New York just opened, I believe, yesterday. Chicago a week ago. Boston, I believe, is in the pro- – and the reason I'm citing those is these are major markets. Yes. These are tier A markets that have a huge impact on volume. Other markets have been open a little longer, and they are seeing signs of a recovery. But I would say if the recovery is a fourth quarter, we're in the early, early in the first quarter. You know, you're, I think at this point in the discussion where the context is the operators are opening up and recovering. You and your partner at Pentalic, Barry Friends, wrote an article, a great article uh, a while back on the big distribution companies. What's going on with them now in terms of getting the food out to the operators and getting all the supplies and equipment and tabletop and all that out to them? Well, there's a couple things. First, they were hit by a tsunami. No question. No distributor. And I work with seven of the top 10. No major, nobody planned. You cannot have fathomed that the business would be hit this hard that suddenly. So they were in liquidity concerns. They were had receivables. What do we do with all this credit? inventory. And I think the big ones have probably acted a little more aggressively, maybe had a little more room to maneuver, Cisco, US Foods, PFG, and a few others. So they've shored up their balance sheet. They've made reductions to their workforce that's appropriate to reduce number of business. They have continued to service their customers. So I don't believe we've had anything other than some very minor blips in supply, getting products to customers that are in business. Now that things are resuming, I do understand there you know some restocking challenges, but I think they're going to be tend to be short-lived. Imported products have certainly some more challenges than domestic. But when you look at the food and beverage and non-food continuum, non-food more so than food, but food and beverage is primarily domestic supply. So you know, we had meat shortages for a while, but in some chemical shortage, but I think it's been sorted through. So they're restocking and there are, I'm hearing some incidents of delays in getting orders, but nothing of any critic. They will be there to serve the customers at the level that the customers are accustomed to being served very quickly. Are there issues, Bob, for distributors? Because I know back in March, it seemed like it all hit at once and and the whole industry went right off a cliff. And I'm sure that the distributors were left holding the bag for a lot of operators in terms of receivables. Are there issues now where distributors, dealers are having to suck up those, those past receivables in order to get their customers back in business? Yeah, IFTA has done an analysis that $6 billion of write-offs and receivables, and I believe they're- $6 billion with a B. A B, and $500 million, I believe, is their estimate. This is an IFTA, which is highly reliable, wonderful group, $500 billion on inventory write-offs. And again, the receivables, these are receivables write-offs. I'm not sure. I think there were, I know that there were a fair number of deals being cut, you know, you owe us a thousand, we'll take nine hundred and call it a day. So yeah, it's been a huge challenge. Suppliers trying to collect from the distributors, distributors from the operators, dealers from their suppliers. So it's been a huge challenge. Again, so there's no surplus cash in the food service business. Business bad. So everybody's concerned about liquidity. And that I think was the all-absorbing initiative for the first 
30 to 60 days. With that liquidity issue, a different type of question on liquidity, landlords and operators. And what's going to happen, I'm assuming that most operators have not been paying their rents for the past 90 days. They now are trying to open back up. When does that hammer fall on the back rents? Is that also being negotiated very similar in a similar fashion to what you just described? Yeah, I believe that, in fact, very interesting, many major chains, including Starbucks, Cheesecake Factory, and many, many others. I know Gap in the non-food industry. In that respect, it's just like retail. They just said, we're not paying your rent. And so that is having a huge trickle effect on the landlords and the landlords and their investors and banks. So unfortunately, independents have less leverage. But at the same point in time, you know, I think many of the land, what I'm hearing anecdotally is that many landlords are being more accommodating than perhaps in the past because the hope that in a year or two, things will be better. They'll be able to pay us versus putting them out of business. We'll get nothing. We're not going to have anything for a year or two or three. So I do think there's a spirit of collaboration, how widespread it is, I can't say. I have heard, again, there's trying to collaborate and negotiate and rent relief, rent reductions, rent deferrals, but it's going to be a huge headwind facing the industry for the next 18 months, especially if business doesn't resume at a reasonable enough level to pay rent currently, much less past obligations. Bob, well, taking that a step further, you know, everybody's talking about how the independents have, everybody's had a hard time, but independents have been especially hammered. What do you see over the next year, two years, three years with independents? Are they, you know, they're talking about, you know, massive closures. I mean, are they, are they coming back? How fast? I mean, any, any thoughts? Yeah. You know, I'm unfortunately, you know, you hear everything from 20, I think on the low end, 15% is up to, I you know some people thrown out numbers. I think David Chang or one of the big restaurateurs said 80% are going to close. So, yeah. The, I think the National Restaurant Association said 82%. Of- no, I don't believe that was the restaurant association. I think they said they may be in trouble, but I think we're going to very, <laughs> the question should be closures over what period of time I think the government loans, PPP, SBA loans, are definitely giving operators some relief. How much relief, you know, and these things are coming to, uh, unfortunately, there may be some additional funding. So I think that's helped. Wow, it's all really fascinating stuff. And uh, Bob, we really appreciate your comments and your thoughts and opinions when it, it comes to the reopening process that we're going through this journey that we're all on in the food service and hospitality category. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I want to, Bob, I want to uh, get your thoughts on the permanent tabletop category, where it fits into the recovery process for operators and especially supply chain players, and most especially the manufacturer of those permanent tabletop products. More with Bob Golden in a second. Bob, of course, you can find out more about Bob and his company, Pentalic, by going to pentalic.com. We'll be right back with more from Bob Golden. 
This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We're with Bob Golden here at Aaron Every Other Thursday. Bob is from Pentelect. Have I got that right, Bob? You got it. Okay. I want to make sure I'm saying it right. And we've just been kicking around the uh, hit Bob's views and comments on this wonderful pandemic problem that we've had in the food service and hospitality trade. And we're really grateful to have Bob share his thoughts and uh, comments with us today. But now we wanted to, before we took a break, I mentioned that we want to get into the permanent tableware and tabletop category and get Bob's thoughts on that. Bob, I know that as operators start to open back up again, they probably dinnerware glassware, cutlery, all that, it's probably not first on their mind. I'm sure what I would call food and beverage supplies, those types of things are. But where does the permanent tabletop category fall in the recovery process from uh, your point of view, and also for the supply chain players as well? In all candor, I think the tabletop category is one that's probably going to be facing some challenges that are even more severe than some other categories. And First of all, we are just not going to see any unit openings, net unit openings, which of course drives a lot of volume. These big hotel openings, casino openings, cruise ship lines where there's half a million dollar orders, et cetera. So let's write, that ain't going to happen. So that will be a challenge. I think we will really be in a, as business is going to be, constrained under the best of circumstances due to the distancing requirements, staying at home, some fear, a certain percentage of consumers sort of fearful of returning. Certainly we have some economic challenges that many consumers are probably not going to be willing to spend. So operator business, even though it will be open, is going to be down. And I think it's just going to delay any kind of major remodeling. So I think what we're going to be in vis-a-vis tabletop is a repair and replace cycle for the foreseeable future. We've talked here on every other Thursday when it's just been the three of us kicking the ideas around of a staggered kind of comeback by category, glassware being first, because it's the most disposable, the the breakability of glass, that glassware velocity followed by dinnerware sometimes a couple of months later in terms of of the major orders and maybe cutlery at the end. Does that sound about right? You know, glass, that's replacing. Your glassware, you replace a lot because it breaks a lot. I also think there's a couple other things we have to keep in mind vis-a-vis permanent tableware. There are discussions, and I've already observed, some move towards use of disposables in restaurants for sanitation purposes. I don't know what that's going to be. I'm, I'm not a public health official. I have zero expertise, but you've, you know, I've read what we've all read. I think that is a headwind. I think it may happen in certain venues. I do think that we will probably be looking as an industry as we're in this cost sensitivity mode towards certain material types that perhaps are more durable than others. So we may see some shifts within categories to 
more durable. And then I think there are going to be some opportunities for antimicrobial things, for trays. So I think there are going to be some opportunities, but the whole notion that every three years or two years, Dave, you and I have talked previously about replacement cycles. I just think it's going to be slower. And decor and ambiance, the things we all cherish, are probably going to be a lower priority for operators for the foreseeable future vis-a-vis employee and guest safety and sanitation. Yeah, we've also commented that there's a couple of things that play against the disposable. Obviously, the disposable is is attractive right now from a safety optics viewpoint for the dining guest. If they're if the menus are disposable, the napkins are disposable, the plates and the cups and all that, that seems safe. Two things play against that a little bit are the cost overall cost of disposing it was single use. And then secondly, the storage, the back of the house storage, it's just not there. Restaurants aren't built, most of them anyway, to to store large cases of disposable products, single service product. So I think there are some things that that can really benefit the permanent wear side of it. But I agree with you. I, I think there's going to be some concerns and people are going to quickly transition to try to figure out first and foremost, the safety side. If a guest is coming in that door, they want to make sure that that guest feels safe in their restaurant, Yeah, whether it's an independent or a chain. I think the biggest takeaway vis-a-vis permanent wear is that we are just not going to see the level of new unit openings and major remodels. So it's going to be much more about replacement. And also we've talked in uh, previous podcasts about within permanent tabletop, there might be shifts in the type of products, like for example, cloches that cover the food. And we were talking about pressurized, insulated growlers and these type of things that could be brought to the tabletop that you know, they're permanent and they make sense. Well, I think there'll be some opportunities, but it's going to be a challenge. I think, you know, to think it's going to be anything other than a challenged category is probably a little bit in the realm of wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think, too, that you're going to find that menus get simpler. You're going to find that cocktail menus are going to be very, very simple going forward. If you had a full service, whatever that would be, of dinnerware, you're going to go down to one or two or three different items to serve with. Things are going to just get simpler, easier, and quicker. I agree. A lot of that's just going to be driven by, you know, our businesses. We're back, but we're 80% of what we are, and we're, that means we got, we're 20% down in sales, and it probably means we're 40% down in profit, and we've just got to find ways to be more efficient. I just like to throw out one product that I just was reading about that they're now at Chicago. Do not bring up bone marrow spoons. No, I won't. No, no, no bone marrow spoons. No, it's an inside joke, Bob. Sorry. People can reference our very first podcast about that, but about the containers for to-go cocktails. So, in, for example, here in Illinois, and I know a lot of other places, the laws have changed. People can take, take away cocktails, but they have to be in a certain type of glass container and sealed. So I'm just throwing that out for our manufacturer friends. Well, I think there's a tremendous number of opportunities in the to-go, carry-out type of products. Packaging people are having a, you know, a heyday, so to speak. Many of them are doing quite well. Unfortunately, most of those are disposable. Bob, as we start to go forward, as we stop looking back and sort of getting mired in this and we start to reopen our industry, how do you see 
the types of restaurants, whether it be menu type or format type. Do you see some formats coming back with more popularity than others? Do you see certain types of formats going away? What are your thoughts on where the restaurant business is, is going to go first? I'm quite confident in saying that quick service is going to be the big winner. And it's, you know, they've done well. They are value simplicity and they are really really set up to do drive-through delivery off-premise in general so i think quick service is in a really not all sectors sweet spot i think the ones that are vulnerable are quote expense account type of places anything that's heavily reliant on banquets buffets food bars. We're going to get to buffets in a minute. So Yeah, I mean, I think those are clearly going to be dramatically scaled back or changed. I think many of the higher end restaurants, not just necessarily a high end expense account, you know, where you hit culinary driven that are hard to run that aren't really set up their business models are going to be challenged. So I think full higher end, full service independence, higher end casual dining, expense account, and then anything having to do for the short term events. So lodging, you know, lodging food service, you know, as meetings are all canceled. And if we have a meeting, it's going to instead of a thousand people. We we learned this last recession. You know, when companies would send fifty people, they would spend ten people, and instead of giving unlimited expense accounts, you know, we all live that. You know, go eat at a chili. So we're going to see that for the foreseeable future, but we're not going to see any events this year. So banquet, wedding, corporate events. Do you see any type of fast casual concepts or any type of menu, particular menu concepts that might come back? I think anything that's takeout friendly. So pizza's done very, very well. Pizza of Domino's and Papa John's have had really good numbers. Chick-fil-A's numbers have been great. Chick-fil-A's off the charts. Popeye's has been good. Chipotle's numbers. So things that are takeout friendly, that aren't temperature sensitive, you know, I think we'll do fine. I should do very well. If it's very not necessarily takeout oriented, doesn't travel well, those may be more challenged. Well, a segment that's been challenging the traditional restaurant business for a while now are grocery stores. And they've been taking business away with prepared foods and so forth. And you talk about when, so when you talk about take out, take home or carry out, what do you see now happening with food made away from, prepared away from home? Where, where do you see grocery stores fitting in, in this comeback trail? Well, you know, interesting you say that Dave. Grocery and I obviously was a big proponent of and advocate for prepared foods, but the last couple of years it had started to slow down mainly because a lot of the mainstream groceries, Kroger and Walmart and were not Albertsons, were not necessarily that good in it. The ones who were good in it, your H-E-B, your Wegmans, your, of course, Whole Foods, they were good and they were doing well. I think retail is a beneficiary. We're staying home, eating more meals at home. But I noticed that I think all a lot of the food bars, the salad bars, the olive bars, the hot food bars, 
are probably going to either have been temporarily or permanently closed or going to have to be refit. So it will be much more of a behind-the-counter. So I think that that's probably, while grocery volume is good and people are spending and eating at home and looking for meal solutions, I think with some of the health concerns until they figure out solutions to food bars, which are a big part of the experience, you know, the hot food bar, the cold bar, the salad bars, buy the pound stuff. Anything that has consumer touch, I think is going to be way down. It's going to have to move to the service component. So I don't think they're necessarily going to be a big winner. How has Italy in Chicago been doing? Any of you guys been in there? I've been in there. They've been open more for groceries. They've closed a lot of the food stations yeah. down the last I looked. But the grocery thing, I think, was doing fine. I mean, but it wasn't like New York and Chicago's Italy were huge tourist attractions. It was way down. But it was for grocery. I think it was holding its own. Yeah. There was no dining. I think they'd scaled it way back. I know they called the coffee. I know the coffee bar was closed. It's, it's a challenge. Wow. How's Plum Markets doing in Chicago? Have you been into that? I have. I think Plum Market is in a great neighborhood. It's a well-positioned, well-run company. You know, high price, but in that neighborhood, they can afford it. I think they'll be fine. I think they've been, they do have delivery capabilities. So I think, you know, I only know the one on, on the north side of Chicago. I think they're a well-run in small chain, independent slash small chain. They got five or six. I think they got five. And there's four or five more to open in the next year, year and a half. A good friend of mine, Madeline Trafon, is the master sommelier there for their wine programs. Yeah. No, I think they do a nice job. I think it's small enough where it's really controllable. You know, you can you can manage it. I don't know how these Whole Food guys and Wegmans, they're so big. How the heck do you even stay on top of the ordering for a place like that? It's, got, it's amazing to me that they can even do it. Well, they benefited by, you know, their delivery. It's yeah. And Whole Foods and many other grocers have really, they're like walking in a hospital ward now. They are conveying safety, to your point, Dave, to consumer. We're, you come here, we're clean, it's safe, food is handled well, building the trust. And, you know, they benefit by the fact that people have to buy groceries and cook at home. So they either deliver or go to the stores. They did a lot of the right things, as did many other groceries. I'm not in retailers. Bob, we saved the best question for last. I, I mentioned that we would come back around, circle back around to buffets and salad bars. It's not really an easy question to answer, but uh, are they, for as far out as you can see, are buffets and salad bars, are they dead forever? Or are they going to be uh, dead in, for a while? And if they're not dead, what are they going to look like when I go to my buffet or my salad bar? I will not say anything. You know, every time you say it's dead forever or the industry has changed forever. It's premature. I There are some manufacturers who are investing heavily to make sure that they're not dead forever. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that some of those solutions will, will continue to extend that phenomenon out. I think for the short term, there's going to be no rush to open up any kind of food service setting where there is a lot of human touch. Now, will salad bars and food bars and buffets, and of course, one of the big chains, Salad Works, uh, what, uh, Soup Plantation and Sweet Tomatoes, they close. They say, we can't, this is our model, we can't change it, and will Golden Corral have trouble? Uh, yeah, I think they will. I think we're gonna, they're going to look at more prepackaged options. Salad Works, you couldn't serve yourself, could you? 
not salad works, soup plantation, the buffet, you know, where you go and they have the massive, wonderful, they're sh- shutting down the units. They're going out of business. They're not even trying. We talked about that as it relates to Vegas. And, you know, one of the things that, that I remember is that I, I wonder if they'll go to the military model where you cannot serve the food to yourself. Yeah. So I don't think they're necessarily going away forever, but I do think there's going to need radical reinvention. Right. Sure. Bob, I like you. I like your point. You know, every time we say something is dead, somehow it always comes back. And the thing about buffets and salad bars, that type of thing is consumers like them. And so, you know, looking way down the road, if the consumers like something, you know, operators will figure out a way to satisfy that need, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's also talk. I mean, there's a whole bunch of health measures and protocols that the industry has been discussing and they're still being discussed. They may be implemented again. We don't know how the pandemic worsens. You've heard talk about shutting down self-service dispensers. Think of the magnitude of that. Will it happen? I can't say, but it's been discussed. But again, I don't see Vegas, hotel breakfasts, the big, beautiful, but I think they're going to be not self-service. I think that is the thing. So we may have food display consumer visible but i don't see food any near-term resumption of consumer served where you're self-served so will there be a sous chefs behind the line you know you want your quarter pound of tuna salad and handling it for you and mask and gloves yes will there be more pre-packaged dressings instead of bottles pouch dressings instead of the Pour your own drink. Yes, I think we'll see that. But I think we're going to see some big changes. These big food bars aren't going to open up anytime soon for the most part. They need to be reinvented, reimagined, reinvented to make sure the consumers feel safe. You talk about things changing. I was into uh, uh, Wegmans and, and we got Giant here in, in York, Pennsylvania. But I like fresh nuts. They closed the bulk food. Well, in our little market, well, it's not a little bit, in our giant market down here, you're talking about 30 feet or so of big nut dispensers, all kinds of stuff. And I love Brazil nuts, and they're good for you. So I'd always go in and get them. I went in there when this thing started. I'm like, where the hell did the nuts go? Awesome. Gone. Gone. The bulk spice sections have been closed. Again, Yeah, doesn't mean it's not going to reopen, but I think in the, it's going to reopen, and I think there's going to be a big opportunity for new types of display and merchandising equipment to elevate even further food safety and sanitation. Yeah, absolutely. Got to do it. Because, you know, literally salad bars, I can kind of, Dave, you would recall, you or you and I have been in the industry, when they didn't have sneeze guards on salad bars. I mean, that wasn't all that long ago they did that. Well, I think that Greg's comment about if there's a consumer demand for a buffet, the operators will figure it out. Yeah, it's a really creative business. There's a lot of invested real estate equipment that there's not necessarily is easy to retrofit. Again, they're innovative. Hopefully we'll figure out. But to your point, is buffet, are they dead forever? No, but I think the salad bar of the future, the buffet of the future, is going to be a lot different than what it is now. 
I think your term of radical reinvention is probably appropriate. I like that term. I, I think it probably applies very much to the buffet category. But again, the food service business and the operators in food service, unbelievably resilient and flexible and willing to change. And we're seeing, we've talked over for the last couple of weeks about cocktails to go. I never thought I'd see cocktails in cryovac type bags or Ziploc bags and in, in medicine bottles, but you're seeing all kinds of creativity there. I'm guessing you'll see that also in the buffet category. I think you'll see that in serviceware, restaurant design, restaurant spacing, What I think some of the challenges are, you know, if gentrification and urbanization continues, and, you know, again, some say the cities are, have seen their best days. I don't know. I'm not a sociologist. But, you know, we are working against some space, some pretty significant space constraints in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, et cetera. So, you know, they're going to have to be very creative in how they because I do believe social distancing is here to stay. Again, I just don't see us, especially those of us with gray hair and going back into crowded bars and crowded at any time in the near term. We want to bring you back to have a whole segment just on the bar segment. Yeah. What the future of bars is, because I think when you get into that, that kind of spatial kind of conversation, I think bars are in trouble with that. And brew pubs. Brew pubs, yep. Till it's a vaccine. Well... (laughs) That'll make a difference. Maybe. Any last comments or thoughts for Bob before he takes off? We have to let him go. You got to go. Bob, are you a wine drinker? I am. Reds, whites, what do you do most of? I like Pinot Noirs. I'm your man. And do me a favor. Would you get, Dave, all your mailing information? And I'm with Stolzl Glassware out of Germany. We have some gorgeous stuff. I want to I want to send you something as a thank you for taking oh, time. Thank you. Bob, did you see how Jay wove that uh, commercial for his company into the no problem. Uh, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. They got to love, love the plug. Hey, good for you. Hey, listen, Dave, you think I forget gifts. I remember the sunglasses. There you go. Yeah. Serengeti. Oh, beautiful Serengeti. Not only did I not get any sunglasses, I never got any wine glasses. You got the sunglasses. I think you were how I met Dave or whatever. Yeah, I used to remember you gave me a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. We just lost every listener under the age of our probably 40 now. They're talking about the good old days. So Bob Golden from Pentelic, it's been great having you. Thank you very much for joining us. I'll send you my uh, home information. I'll If you recommend the wine, I'm sure it'll be good. Yeah, this is the wine glasses to put it in, so we'll get you some beautiful wine. wine glasses are even better. Great. Yeah, Jay's not that nice a guy to send you the wine. He's going to send you the vessel to drink it from. Yeah, I wish I had a wine cup. I'd send the bottle along. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll send you the great glass. I think you can twist Turner's on. He'll get you some good wine. Okay, <laughs> Bob Golden, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Nice seeing you. Bye, Bob. Pleasure to meet you, Bob. Well, guys, that was certainly great having Bob Golden join us today. Was there anything that Bob said today to either one of you gentlemen that that caught you off guard or surprised you? Or or maybe I should say it this way, because he said a lot of stuff. What was the thing that surprised you maybe the most? From my end of it, I think I agree with him, but I think the salad bar thing was a little bit more, he felt a little bit more sense of, not urgency, but that could be a really tougher road to hoe. And I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, That that was stuck out. Yeah, I mean, he he wasn't very optimistic if I was a salad bar salesperson, I, I have to say. The short term, anyway. Yeah, I think they'll be there in some format, and I agree with that 100%. I just think you won't be able to serve yourself. It's going to be more of a militaristic approach where people are going to put that food on your plate. If the ultraviolet light works, then that'll be a whole other case. You know, if the ultraviolet light works and doesn't spoil the food but kills the virus, that could have a dramatic effect. Yep. 
Yeah. Greg? Well, I think that, you know, he did say that there was going to be opportunities. And I, I know I don't want to be Pollyanna, but, you know, in every downturn, there are tremendous opportunities. And I, and I, I just want to, you know, bring that up and, and maybe expand beyond, you know, Bob's position that I think there's going to be a lot of places where people can build their businesses and make, and make some money with what's coming down the road. Yeah, I think in the fine dining segment, it's not going to be as as gloomy for the top of the table. I think that that will, I won't say it will increase in quality, but I think anybody who's got good service, you know, that they're using good crystal, good flatware, good china, good porcelain things, I don't think you're going to see that go away. Especially after all this, people want to celebrate, but they want quality. They're sick of their disposable cups. Not nothing against disposable cups, no, no, no. but somehow wine tastes good out of crystal. Well, it's a good time to be a Chick-fil-A franchisee. There's no doubt about it. the one here. You can't get near it. And an hour before lunch, at the, the lines around the building, and they had to they had to give the one that we have a diverted entrance coming in behind a Walmart because it's so crowded they can't get to it. I mean, I'm pretty sure I have to have a traffic cop out there. But you know, I agree with with you, Greg. I think I think we all know there's a pent up demand. I don't think we know how much of a pent up demand. Yeah. Because I think, you know, it's crazy. I mean, I know we're biased towards being optimistic for the permanent tabletop category, but what do you think about Bob's comments on that? It is going to be under pressure. The question is for how long, but it's just like what we were just saying that people like, you know, the ambiance what, and what permanent tabletop wear can bring to the entire the theater and the satisfaction and the drama of the meal. So if they like all that stuff, there's going to be demand for it. Well, it's going to be different in every category. I mean, what yeah. we're talking about there, I think in the fine dining category, we're going to be the least affected. When you start dropping down on, you know, dropping down from fine dining to mid-level dining, yada, yada, yada. I think there's where the big changes could go in a, a different direction, maybe a little downward, but you know, I don't. I think the fine dining guys and gals are going to. I think they're in a good spot. Yeah, I think that uh, there's opportunities to bring a single item new. If I'm a dinnerware company, it seems to me that one road to some level of success in terms of shipping new products to uh, existing customers or or even to new customers is to have a unique item that you can use for a variety of menu items on your menu sort of to give that tabletop a fresh look. And I think, Greg, your concept of small ideas having big impact on the guest experience, because I think Bob echoed what we've been saying all along, is that really it comes down to a guest experience. It's it, People aren't going out for sustenance. They're going out for this connection, this mm -hmm. experience of being with other people. And to keep that fresh, I think particularly dinnerware people, have the opportunity to really freshen up a, a restaurant's tabletop very easily with one or two items added to it. I agree 100% on that one. Flatware people, that's a different story. I think there's some talk about microbial protection that's going on for certain flatware companies. I think that's going to play out. But I think people are going to kind of go with what they've got for now and, and try to keep it as clean as possible, maybe in cello bags, po poly bags, whatever. And glassware is just going to break. So you're going to have some usage that way. The only problem with gla the glassware category is, is that as people live with 20% of their in-house, inside occupancy. I think that's going to limit the number of replacement orders you get. But I think there's opportunities certainly for glassware to go first, just like we've been saying in our, in our, uh, in our other podcast, just glassware goes first, dinnerware second, and, and somewhere down the line, you'll see some flat. Yeah, but we won't get, we won't get bigger orders because with big velocity operations, that's, 
that's where the handling really gets a little, a little bit of a challenge. So, you know, you get into a decent fine dining restaurant, seats 144 people. Now they can only do half of that. My guess is they'll break a lot less than you think if they're a little careful. Any last uh, thoughts, Greg? Well, I, I just would like to make one more correction to myself here to head off the emails and the phone calls. But uh, I'm, I'm having trouble just reading my own my own notes here. But I believe that 82% independent closure number did not come from the National Restaurant Association or Denny's. It actually might have come from the Independent Restaurant Association. So is that something that you might have read also, Dave? I believe you're right on that. But uh, in in the interest of being factually correct, I, I think there's a, that's a big number, whether it's 80 or 83 and wherever it came from, the number is out there. But it's going to, I thought Bob's comment on restaurant closures, he's looking at it longer term over the next, uh, I think he said uh, 12 to 18 months. So uh, there's a lot closed already. Yes. Yeah. He looked at a broad range of operations. I mean, not just fine dining restaurants or- sure. Sure. Yeah, I think Bob's got an interesting perspective. Yeah, no, he's a smart guy. I like him a lot. He really is. Well, we'll get him back and talk about that bar segment for sure. Anything else you gentlemen want to add to this week's podcast? Believe it or not, there are opportunities out there. I agree 100%. I think and I think you got to be realistic and optimistic, but I think you, we go back to something that happened years and years ago. I mean, I, I like the statement. You know, we I was with Gorham Silver at the time. That tells you how far back that goes, but... You know, we'd go out to see the jewelers and some of the guys would say, hey, we've heard something about a, a depression, but we refuse to participate. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Well, I'm really excited that we got Bob on and he was our uh, first guest here on every other Thursday. And I think uh, I think that plays well. and We want to get him back sometime in the near future. But again, you can find Bob at his company's website is I'm going to try and get this right. Pentelic. And it's P-E-N-T-A-L-L-E-C-T. Great group. And it's Pentelic.com. And it's Bob Golden. You'll find them there. I think everybody ought to check it out. And I appreciate everybody joining us in this episode of Every Other Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have you back here in two weeks. And you'll join us again when we'll have another exciting guest. Everybody go out and stay strong and stay safe. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.